you. Let's pray real quick, and then let's get into the word and ask God to be blessed and glorified as we seek him for our lives. Father, it's in Jesus' name that we thank you for allowing us the great privilege of gathering here in, in this moment right now in your word to seek it and to know it and to trust, Lord, that through the preaching of the message that, Lord, you would choose to save. That's what you declared in 1 Corinthians 1.21, that as we crack open the book and look into it, you do stuff, you do things that only you can do. You remove obstacles and barriers, and you lay foundational stones, and you build upon that stone, which is Jesus Christ. And so we thank you, Lord. As a matter of fact, the first words that came to my mind when I woke up this morning was trust the process, the process of gathering, of studying, of teaching, of looking, of receiving and of growing. So Lord, I do just that today with my friends, and we ask a blessing on this time as we get into your word and allow your word to get into us. May we, Lord, make room for you in our hearts that you might do all that you want to do in us and through us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Let's read the text, and I'm going to back up just a little bit to where we left off last week, because I want to get a running start on this idea of joy once more. So verse 23 in Luke 10 it says, and then he turned to his disciples and he said privately, Jesus with this intensity, probably a little bit of mist in his eyes. He was rejoicing in the spirit at that moment. He's so fired up. And he says, guys, come here, come here. And he brings him in closer. And he says, blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. Now stop right there, eyes up here. I wonder if they looked at each other like, did we just see something? <laughs> Jesus is, oh, you know, he's having a moment. They're like, it looks like he's having a moment. He's, he's really see, He sees something we don't see. And have you ever not seen what somebody else sees? This happens to me as a parent all the time. Okay? You know what I'm saying? Oh, I'll be at Fred Meyer's or wherever, and the kids are going crazy and all the rest. And all I see is chaos, okay? And possible sirens in my future, you know? It's like cra chaos. And then an older person, a seasoned person, will come along and they'll just smile, say, man. Take every bit of it. It goes so fast. You're so blessed. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, you want these kids? You know, and, and you just forget. And in the moment, somebody else will say, oh. And have you, have, you, have you realized this? There are people right now that, that envy you. They study you. In the way that you're set up, the way that you've lived, the things you've experienced. And yet you, like me, probably forget a lot of the blessings God's given to you. And you're, you can see all the negatives and all the things and everyone's like man i can't believe you have da, 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 da. and jesus has to hit a time out he's like hey guys bless it speaking specifically of the things that they were experiencing in jesus in his revelation and what they were seeing it's been said before count your blessings one by one and when you do so when you just sit there and think about how blessed you are and you like me have plenty of potholes around you and plenty of wreckage in your rear view mirror okay to spoil any party. But if I zoom out a little bit and say, I can't believe it. I can't believe how blessed I am. I, I, you name it, especially the spiritual stuff. The things that you and I receive spiritually. I can't believe how kind God has been spiritually to people like me and folks like us. And Jesus here says, blessed, verse 23, he turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you, that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it. And to hear what you hear and have not heard it. 
Verse 25, the story continues, and it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's kind of a really good question, to be honest with you. This is a great golden question. In verse 26, he said to him, Jesus replies, Well, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Verse 27, So he answered and said, Well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He quotes out of Deuteronomy 6 what is known as the great Shema. This is the underlying foundation of all Judaic law in life. This is the, what we do, love God with everything. Fourfold manner of love upward, and then an equal love outward to the people around us. And he nails it. How am I going to get to heaven, he says to Jesus. And Jesus says simply, what does the Bible say? And this guy got it. Right there on the tip of his tongue, he quotes the Shema. Verse 28, interesting reply. And he said to him, you've answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Pretty much the end of the conversation, right? Go ahead and do this. Love God in this fourfold way, upward, body, mind, soul, strength, spirit, everything you got and your neighbors yourself, guess what? And you get a free ticket to heaven. The only problem is, is none of us are doing that. Nobody's able to do that. Not one person has been able to pull off this kind of unadulterated, focused, concentrated love upwards and then to the people around us. Yet Jesus tells this guy, that's it. You, you got it. You found out the way. For you who are Christians here, by the way, you're probably under the impression that there's only one way to heaven, okay? Through Jesus Christ by grace that we're saved. You think that's the only way. There's actually two ways, okay? Two ways to get to heaven. That's one by grace, saved through Jesus Christ. The other way is by never failing and always doing right. I mean, really, you know, I haven't met that person yet. If you're here, we have a position on staff for you. you know, if, if that, but there ain't nobody doing that. Jesus is brilliant. Okay? This lawyer was brilliant as well. By the way, he's a master of the law, teacher, an educator. He's not a lawyer in the sense of lawyers as we know lawyers that was practicing law, defense, and prosecution. Nothing like that at all. Okay? This lawyer right here was one who would study the law of God, the spiritual law, interpret it, and apply it, and help others to accomplish it. So when he stands up and says, hey, how do I inherit eternal life? He's either insincere or sincere. We don't quite know. We'll talk about that in a minute. Well, Jesus says, you answered. There you go. Do with that and live. Verse 29, but he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Stop right there and just zoom in. This guy's hard. He wanted to justify himself. He didn't want to do it wrong. He wanted to make sure he's doing it right. This is what we all do, by the way. I don't want to do it wrong. I want to do it right. I want to justify myself. So he asks Jesus a question, well, who's my neighbor then? Then Jesus clears his throat, <clears throat> and he answered and said, and he gives this story. Now I'm going to read the story to the end, and then I'm going to go back and start again at verse 23. But as I read this story, it doesn't say that it's a story. It doesn't say that it's a parable. In your heading above, it says a parable of the Good Samaritan. You ever heard of the parable of the Good Samaritan? Most of us have heard it before. It's very popular. Maybe one of the most popular New Testament passages in all of history. But it doesn't say that it's a parable. Jesus just calls it as a story, as if it actually happened. We don't know if it was a literal, historical story that Jesus is recalling from or a made-up parable in order to illustrate a true principle. We don't know, but let's study it as Jesus gave it to us. Verse 30, a certain man went down from Jerusalem, which is elevation about 2,300 feet in elevation, to Jericho 
which is an elevation about 1,500 feet below sea level, okay? One of the second lowest points on the globe below sea level. The lowest point in the entire globe below sea level is the Dead Sea right there in Israel. And so to go from Jerusalem, you would go down to Jericho. It actually would be an elevation drop of about 3,500 feet. I don't think that matters, but it says down here. <laughs> We're studying this through. And while he's going, he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road. And when he saw him, you would imagine he would do something. Well, he didn't. He passed by the other side. Likewise, verse 32, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, he came and he looked and he passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and so he went to him bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine and he set him on his own animal and he brought him to the inn and he took care of him and on the next day when he departed he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and he said to him take care of him and whatever more you spend when i come again i will repay you so which of these three jesus concludes in verse 36 do you think was neighbor to him who, who, he who fell among the thieves, or he, he who fell among the thieves. Verse 37, and this lawyer answers and says, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Now I think this text, as we've been studying this idea of joy, flows perfectly into how this joy would be seen and evidenced in our lives, okay? We love joy. We love that feeling of joy, that ecstasy, that bullseye, that purpose fulfilled in our lives, and we've been studying this because I believe that joy is what God wants for us. Heaven is in the business of joy. One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is joy. God grows joy in us. The world tries to fabricate joy. My question for the last couple weeks is, how's your joy? And I'll ask it again this morning. How's your joy? Is it ebbing and flowing? Is it upping and downing? Are you mad that you're a Patriot fan after I told you it's unbiblical? You know, where, what, where's your joy at? How's it, what, what's it rooted in? And I'm gonna be the most honest one up here. My joy, man, I, sometimes I wonder where it's at. I got that joy, joy. Who stole my joy, you know? Where's it at? And the Lord says, where, where's it founded in? What's going on? Because here's the deal. Life is tough. As a matter of fact, uh, Crossroads Community Church up in Vancouver, where Daniel Fusco uh, pastors, they have all kinds of taglines that are very uh, biblical and helpful. And one of theirs they're using recently is, life is messy, but Jesus is real. Okay? And those are just two straight truths. Life's crazy. It is messy, but Jesus is still real. And I wish I could tell you today that if you buy a Jesus is real sweatshirt and put it on, your life won't be messy anymore. Okay, but it's not true. If you buy a Jesus is real sweatshirt and put it on, now you'll have a Jesus is real sweatshirt in your messy life. Okay, that's all that changed. Now you just have a, a cool sweatshirt in the mess that you're living in. This is how it is. I mean, how was your morning? How was your night's sleep? Was it awesome? Did you wake up refreshed? Did you sleep well? Did you avoid all fights with your spouse this morning? Did you find your toothbrush and you didn't burn your eggs and you got to church on time? Nobody's sitting in your chair when you got here? You didn't lose your kids on the way in and all you know? Or was your, was your morning crazy? It's Sunday, by the way. I know this is like the craziest day of the week to get out of the house and wars erupt that don't even exist in your home and memories come back that you haven't thought of in years. Here's the deal. The devil doesn't want you to have joy. Yeah, he doesn't want you to have joy. Jesus said it in verse 23 again. He said, blessed are the eyes that see the things you see. And I believe before he gets into this story, 
where we see more joy incorporated in our lives as we live as Christians. He wants us to know where that joy is founded. Okay, we've been studying that, and I'll tell you what, it's really a big deal. Did you know the number one prescribed drug in America is intended to give you joy? Okay, antidepressants. The number one drug, it's not for inflammation, it's not for heart disease, it's not for gout, it's not for something else. The number one drug, the doctor, what's wrong with you? Okay, 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 well here, take this and you'll have joy. Take this and you'll have some antidepressants. And I understand all that, there's chemical imbalance and I get all that, there's, there's a whole deal and everyone's unique in their own disposition. I get that and I honor you in your pursuit of joy. But to think that the big pharma is saying, you know, we can do, we'll just prescribe something for joy where Jesus comes in and says, I, that's a fruit of the spirit. That's something that I can give to you. That's something that the devil wants to take away from you and that I want to give to you. And I want you to see this. And Jesus huddles his boys up who maybe at that time were filling their prescriptions right then and there. Just getting up and he's like, hey guys, you're so blessed right now in what you've seen. Right now what you have. And those three things we talked about last week, I just want to go over very quickly with you before we move on. Number one was the joy of serving. Where Jesus sent the 70 out and they returned with joy. They, they went out and served, and they gave. And you've heard it said before, give until it hurts. You ever heard that before? What if you gave until it didn't hurt anymore? What if you just gave and gave, and you were in who you are? You served until all of a sudden you were just, man, I'm just, I'm, I feel so good. Matter of fact, Mother Teresa, if you ever studied her life, she's an interesting study, okay? She wasn't perfect, nor does she think she was perfect. She struggled with her faith, all kinds of problems with Mother Teresa. But she was a servant, we all know that in the India and the, the Calcutta district and such difficult circumstances. One guy asked her, why do you do this? Why are you serving like this? What's the deal? You know what she said? I can't live with myself if I don't. Now, you could double click on that a few times and amplify it and find out that she's actually very selfish. She's doing it for herself. Okay? She does good and feels good. But that's what the Bible says. You give out, you serve, you do this, you do what I say, and you give until it hurts, you give until it doesn't hurt, and you'll find yourself walking in this crazy satisfaction, okay? The joy of serving. My question to you, number one, is how's your joy? And I hope you're being a student. Maybe you're here today saying, I'm not very joyful at all. I can't wait to get my next prescription filled, okay? I'm gonna go get that joy. You're talking, I didn't know doctors could do that. I'm calling my doctor right now, you know? Sweet, thanks for the tip, pastor. Well, what about serving? Are you serving? No. Because in your flesh, by the way, your flesh is don't serve other people. You'll, 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 you'll run out. You don't have enough. You don't have enough money. You don't have time. You don't have energy. You'll run out. Ser serve yourself. I've told the story a bunch. One time I was waiting tables at the Greenleaf restaurant, and it was that time of the night where a waiter would give three or four dollars to the deli person and three or four dollars to the line cook and three or four dollars to the dishwasher and you tip people out you give them a, just three or four bucks it was all known you know five bucks six bucks maybe maybe because all the waitresses and waiters would tip everyone and it would kind of yeah, that's how, and one day i said you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna give everything i got tonight all of it away i'm gonna give 20s to each person 20 to you 20 to you 20 to you there was two guys sitting at the counter that didn't even work that shift they just come in for some cranberry cobbler or whatever the case was and they were marrying berry cobbler and they were eating that and so i gave them each 10 bucks here you guys tipping everyone out and they said we didn't work tonight i said just enjoy it man be blessed and i gave and I, as i was giving the money away i kid you not got to the last person and i was so overwhelmed with joy and water started to ooze out of my eyeballs and i had to go outside to just escape what the heck is happening 
And I wasn't even that close to the Lord at that time. I was still kind of in the world, but giving all of it, it just filled with joy. So much better than keeping that money in my own pocket. And I would just, how's your joy? Well, I'll have it as soon as I get some more money in my own pocket. That's what Luke said. I heard him say, joy, money in pocket. Got it. You know, you're taking notes today. Call the doctor, get money in pocket, joy. Got it. This is what your mind does, what my mind does. If I just get that raise, if I just get that stuff, if I just get more for myself, I'll be happier. Jesus says, I love a cheerful giver, and I believe giving of anything. Okay, I'm not talking, I'm not, we're not going to take an offering here today. Maybe we should, but we're not going to have a God loves a cheerful giver, and I believe as you give, as you truly give, and trust the Lord to match you, to bless you, like he said in Malachi, to give back the joy of serving. He also talked about the joy of salvation he said don't rejoice in the power you have guys i just want you to get this but rejoice that your names are written in heaven how's your joy this morning well i, I got this this is I'm, I'm fighting over here and i got battle over there are you going to heaven when you die that's a pretty big deal john minor the pastor that did my wife and i's wedding almost 17 years ago in, in ashland john minor would ride his beach cruiser around with his bible tucked into it and riding around and one day he rode by the ashland christian fellowship he was a pastor at, at simple faith christian fellowship and my pastor mark anderson said hey john how you doing and as john minor rode by on his bike he didn't say i'm doing good or hi hello he just yelled out as he drove by i'm going to heaven and kept riding down I thought, all right there you go you know and John Miner's kind of crazy, you know. That's, that's what was on his mind. How you doing, John? I'm going to heaven. <laughs> Are you going to heaven? What? I trip out from time to time. Okay, I turn 40 in May. Okay, May 13th. Don't forget. Anyways, I, I turn. <laughs> I, and, and, I, and I always tell myself, what? That's, that's like, you know, in all sense, that's halfway there. Like, pretty much, give or take. I don't know the future. Like, that's, that's good news. Like, I'm going... That's good. I'm almost there. I can do this. Why? Because I'm going to heaven. I can do I can maintain this stride or this pace or this difficulty, whatever it is. Life's messy. Hello, I'm not, I can't tell you it's not going to be messy. It's going to be messy. But Jesus is real. As a matter of fact, Psalm 51 was written by King David in a very dark time of his life. He really made some mistakes. And in Psalm 51, he has a lot of good things to, to pull from. One of which is, Lord... Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy. Interesting concept. Re Lord, Lord, I've lost my joy. In, in what? In your dollars and days? No, no. In my salvation. Maybe some of you here today say, yeah, what am I freaking out about? What in the real world is going on? I, I, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. And that joy, Jesus says again in verse 23, blessed, which means joyful. And the third thing we talked about last week before moving on, because I told you last week I was going to give you 10 things that will be indicative to your joy levels and or not, is the joy of seeing. Okay? When you really realize what it is to know Jesus and to see him, like he says in verse 23, blessed are the eyes which see. Do, do you see what we see? Now, again, maybe they didn't get it. They're looking at Jesus. He's having this little powwow with them. Guys, you're so blessed at what's going on. They're like, you mean the demons that fled when we yelled at them? No. You mean the sick that are being healed? No. And Jesus said, I'm here. And he goes on to say in verse 24, the prophets and the kings all desired to see what you guys see. How much more so in our days have we who been given eyes to see the things of the Lord, have reason to be blessed 
to be joy-filled, optimistic, hopeful, benevolent, kind, generous, faithful, and committed individuals because of all the things that God's given to us already. Now, let me just do something biblical for you guys. Did you know that when Jesus showed up, he fulfilled right around 300 prophecies, okay, when he showed up? 300 foretellings of how he would arrive the first time. And Jesus looked at him and said, guys, this is happening right now. Don't miss it. Did you know that that's his first appearing? There is what's called the second appearing of Christ. That's what we're waiting on now. That's what's coming next. Just tune in real quick. There's the second appearing. Did you know that there's almost 3,000 verses that detail the second appearing of Christ? That is, he will return. 300, his first appearing, and it happened. Almost 3,000 for his second appearing. Here's my question. How's your joy? Jesus told them then, blessed are you who see these things. How about you and I when we see the things being fulfilled right under our own eyes? Does it bring you great joy when you see prophecies fulfilled? Like in 1948, when Israel became a nation again in a day, the Bible clearly asks, can the nation be born in a day when Israel was born in a day? Prophecies being fulfilled left and right. Jesus declaring it'll be like the days of Noah before I return. Everything's going to be going crazier and crazier. There'll be earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars and pestilences and all kinds of crazy things. You guys ever seen anything crazy in the news? Any super flus or bacterias or viruses or things going on? I got a text message yesterday, just an alert from some news source that said Madagascar, which I thought was a, a cartoon. I didn't realize it was an actual place, you know. <laughs> it's my problem, not yours. In Madagascar, they're suffering such a drastic drought that it's killing the whole nation. And there's two years now of no rain. And, and in its little text, it said that nobody in the whole world cares or even knows about it. And the Bible said there'll be famines and pestilence and chaos and all this crazy stuff. And I'll be honest, I'm not, I don't like war. Okay? I don't like chaos. I don't like pestilence. I don't like earthquakes ever. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't like that stuff. That stuff's happening though. It's going on right now in and around everywhere. And if you're a Christian here, the Bible allows you to have joy, not in those things, but what those things point to. Okay? They're all pointers to the soon return of Jesus Christ. The question I keep asking, how's your joy? And I, I, I ask it over and over again because my joy is very fickle if I'm honest. I can get bent out of shape very easily. I can get disappointed. I can get stressed. I can get forgetful. And so Jesus takes very seriously this time with his boys and says, guys, do you know what's happening? No, what, what's going on? He's like, everyone wants to know what you know. Everyone wants to hear what you hear. You're going to heaven. You can serve in my name. Years ago, I had a friend... Uh, who's a doctor, actually, Dr. Franklin Ross. He's in heaven now. And Dr. Franklin Ross uh, prescribed this one patient of his. Her name was Mary. And he was dealing with her. And on the prescription, she brought it in and showed me her RX, her prescription paper there. Her prescription was is to meet Pastor Luke and to attend the Jesus Seekers Bible study on Monday night that he's teaching. She came and said, this is what my doctor said I, I'm supposed to do. I was like, is that legal? I don't know if that's, yeah, okay. And I began to meet with her, and she came to this Bible study. And the whole idea was that she would meet Jesus and find this blessing, this understanding, the joy of seeing, the joy of salvation, and the joy of serving. Now, for two reasons this is important. Number one, for our enjoyment, right? God does want us to be blessed. He wants us to be the most blessed people in the world. He wants you to be blessed. He's made you a reservoir for blessing. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. The Son of Man comes to give life in that abundantly, John 10, 10. Two reasons. Number one is for you. This is important. God loves you. Secondly, though, is for the witness of the world, that people would see you and want to know what it is you have or where to get it, that other people on 
earth would see heaven. I'll tell you what, when we say that prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, to me, I kind of trip out. I'm like, what's that going to look like? And I kind of stand back. Yeah, Lord, put heaven on earth. Let me just see that. And the Lord says, I want to do that in your heart. I want to do that through you. I want you to show the earth what heaven looks like. It's like, oh, this is participation. Gotcha. You want me to do this. Woo! All right, and we get involved. Now, here's the deal. It's important that we maintain that joy while on earth. So let me ask you a couple questions, okay? If you don't have joy right now, uh, I'm going to share this list with you. I do reading, and I study, and I listen, and I, I got this list from another uh, teacher, but I think it's helpful, so I'm going to share it with you, okay? These are 10 things that will alter your joy one way or the other. Number one, I'm going to rip through these quickly. And number one is spending adequate and quality time in God's Word, okay? The author of the Word of God is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is one who grows joy within you and I. And as you spend time in God's word or don't spend time in God's word, your joy will be impacted one way or the other. That's just the way it is. So if you're here this morning, I keep asking, how's your joy? How's your joy? Like, I don't know, man. It's all over the place. Next question. How's your time in God's word? Is there an adequate uh, time spent? Is it quality? Or have you, like I, been distracted by many other things? We'll learn that next week as we study Mary and Martha. Number two, here's one way to uh, increase the joy in your life. Repent of sin that the Holy Spirit convicts you of. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, as a matter of fact, Matthew chapter 7, you can write it down. Jesus said, if you're on your way to worship and there are reminded that you have something to deal with, stop, deal with it, and then start again. Just deal with it. And I'm so thankful the Holy Spirit is so kind and patient to just kind of put his finger on one thing at a time. At least that's how he works for me. One thing at a time. He says, let's deal with that right now. And you look over your shoulder like, we want to deal with that right now. You know? And the Holy Spirit says, yeah, let's deal with that. Because cause, cause, guess why? It's inhibiting your joy. It's stopping me from doing what I want to do in your life. It's kind of like taking the trash out. You ever not take the trash out at your house for many, many weeks? You, you laugh because you can't do that. You got to take it out like, couple times per week you know my house is like every other day like oh trash you got all these people consumers you know and you can you take the trash out you so too with your sin the holy spirit will tell you hey get rid of that just deal with it there's no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus verse one of chapter eight of the book of romans but deal with your sin walk according to the holy spirit verse number three um when we do what god made us to do we experience joy when you exercise your gifts back to that serving idea when you actually do what you were intended to do what god created you to do that joy, will, that's an amen right there. It's an amen. The joy will be filled in your life. I remember years ago, I was at the Rogue Valley Mall uh, admiring one of those cars that they bring inside the mall. You ever been to the mall before and they bring in a car and you can like look at it and stuff and you can like you can touch it and you can't really get in it. Really. And I always thought to myself, you know what, this car looks cool in the mall, but it's not really fulfilling its purpose, okay? It, it'll only be so cool for so long until finally it won't be cool anymore. I'll just be in the way and the oil will start to drip and it's not really, it's got horsepower. It's got, and so too, you and I, there are things that God has intended for you and I to do, and if we just are on display for others to look at and see, but not really fulfilling our potential, that joy will be hindered. Number four, be grateful and enjoy what you have and share generously, okay? Just take that time to be thankful for everything God's given to you, and I promise you that frown will turn right upside down. Uh, number five, forgive those who sinned against you and let them go. This is a big one. Each one of us have been offended by somebody, disappointed, some of us worse than others, and I don't mean to make light of any situation here at all, but some of us have real pain, real problems. And yet the Lord says, would you just forgive them? Just do it, just forgive them. And when you do, the joy will return. The joy will flow again. The Bible actually says something very 
kind of serious. It says, if you don't forgive, you won't receive the forgiveness that I have for you. You've got to, it's got to be, it's got to flow. I'll forgive you, you forgive others, and it just cleanses. You've all heard it said before that unforgiveness and bitterness is like mixing poison for your enemy because you're mad. And unforgiveness and bitterness is like mixing up that poison and then ingesting it yourself. And it doesn't do anything except pain. Forgive. I, I would just really pray that somebody today that has an unforgiveness issue would trust the Lord in that process. Lord, I, I'm going to forgive. Would you do your part? When you forgive somebody, a person who's offended you, it doesn't mean that you have to be their best friend or that things aren't maybe necessarily going to be different moving forward. But forgiveness can be given, and you can give that person or that issue to the Lord. That will increase your joy. Number six is just a simple thing. Take care of yourself. Okay, how's your joy? Take a day off. Take some rest. Maintain your health. Get some exercise. Eat well. Take a nap. Where's my nap, people? I love naps out here. I love a good nap. I feel kind of sinful, but I love a good nap, you know joy. That's my joy. Don't, don't steal it from me. Anyways, uh, number seven, remind yourself that joy is only of one of many emotions. Okay, there's other emotions as well. It's okay to experience the spectrum of emotions. Number eight, rejoice in the joy of others. This is, by the way, not something we celebrate here in America, uh, to be stoked for other people's fortune and blessing. As a matter of fact, uh, two weeks ago, I was on Facebook, and I was going through there, and Calvary Chapel Corvallis was having a meeting, a live meeting where they had been praying and fasting all week. And as I saw it, there was a live, and they were there, and they were, they were worshiping, and my first thought was, just keep scrolling through. It was a live, just, just over the hill, Calvary Chapel Corvallis. And in my flesh, I was thinking, that's cool, good for them, good job. And then I began to think, wait a minute, they've been praying and fasting for a week, and they're worshiping right now. How cool is that? And I scrolled back a little bit. And I began to there on my couch intercede for their meeting and to pray and rejoice and say, Lord, would you just blow their mind tonight? Would you reward them? Would you be their joy? And I began to experience the joy of their success in their spirituality and in their pursuit of God. I didn't get a, I didn't, I didn't fast very well that week at all, you know. They did, and just to enjoy other people. But we, in our flesh, tend to see somebody else win the lottery or get blessed or get, you know, a new car or their grass is green and yours is the opposite of green, you know, and we get mad. Wouldn't it be, your joy will be indicative of your happiness for others. Two more and we're going to move on, okay? Do what's right, even if it doesn't feel right. Read, pray, fellowship, love, sing. Do what's right and the joy will be yours. Uh, I always say that if you do the motion, God will create the emotion, and lastly, don't be afraid just to have fun, okay? Make things fun. Have a good time. Set time aside to have fun in life because God is not super mad. He's actually super happy, and you can redeem our days for his glory. Okay, that being said, I wanted to wrap up our kind of joy idea, but moving along, look at verse uh, 25. It says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Now, again, we don't know necessarily if this guy was sincere or insincere. I would say this, though. The answer to the question for insincere people or sincere people is going to be found in the Bible. Jesus just puts that right back. He's like, what's the Bible say? What's the Bible say? And I love it when people have sincere questions about God. I will meet with you for hours at length if you have sincere questions about God. I've been doing this my whole entire ministry, meeting with people. I have also, on accident, met with insincere people who just want to debate, who just want to fight. Here's the answer for both camps, though. Get in the book. What's the Bible say? Psalm 34, 8 says this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, and blessed is the man who trusts in him. Did you know that it, 
the Lord's not afraid to be tasted and seen and tested. That if you just test the Lord and just look for the answers, whether you're insincere or sincere, if you look for the answers, I can just sit back and just watch this whole thing unfold, and you're going to be blessed. As you, it's like a Costco sample. You ever been to Costco before? The only samples they're given at Costco you don't want to try are the Tide Pods. Okay, you seen those before? Like, don't don't do those. But the other, the food ones, you know, you get that, and you're like, hey, where's this? Where is, where is this? Oh, it's right behind me. They they're not going to give away junk there. On this, and so too the Lord says, hey, test me out. This guy, this lawyer, tests the Lord. And again, he's not a practitioner of law like we have in our day. Yeah, it's happening. This is... <laughs> he instead is one who studied the Levitical, the Levitical law or the rabbinical law and would put application and understanding for the people. So it could be that he's very sincere in his question for what the Lord would have as he gives this answer. And I'll tell you what again. Uh, I've met with people who want to know, and as you open up the word, God will show you exactly what it is that you should do. The real dilemma, though, for you and I, isn't necessarily what does the Bible say for Christians here. The real dilemma is do we want to do what it says? This guy asked this question, and he knows the answer like that. It's as if Jesus knew. How many of you guys here right now struggle with doing the right thing? Not because you don't know if it's the right thing, but because of your rebellious spirit. You don't know if you want to do it. Don't raise your hand. It'll be embarrassing. But yeah. And whenever I talk to people or counsel with a couple or a person, usually what counseling is, by the way, the majority of good counseling is just listening. Hey, listen to this person process. And most people, not all, but most people that I counsel or meet with already actually know what to do in their marriage, they know what to do with their finances. They, they know what to do in their life. They know what to do. Just like geez, this guy knew what to do. The big problem is, is our inability to do it or really our unwillingness to say, yeah, it's that simple. So Jesus here asks this guy, what does the law say? What's written in the law? And he's again a lawyer, uh, not like our lawyers are, which by the way, what's the difference between a lawyer and a liar? S spelling. I'm just kidding, <laughs> kind of. No, that's a to total difference. The spelling is totally different, totally different. Not even a joke, it's true. <sighs> I'm sorry, <laughs> back on track here, back on track here. I've got some other jokes, but I'm going to keep them to myself today. <sighs> Look at what he says in verse 27. So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Okay, quoting out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, this guy probably, by the way, had a phylactery on his head, okay, which would be if you, uh, this, this leather strap and on his head would be a box, and inside that box would be a portion of the Torah, the Shema would be written in there, other life verses from the Judaic law, and these guys would have the word written on their hearts and on their minds, and they would have prayer bands on their arms in order to fulfill this, and so Jesus knows this guy spiritually. He's like, well, you got the Bible written there on that cool little box right on your head, and in Jesus' days, the boxes were getting bigger and bigger, and sometimes they'd even be dragging their box behind them, you know, and it got out of control, and uh, this guy knows what he's supposed to do, and so Jesus says to him, verse 28, you've answered rightly. Do this, 
and you'll live. This is actually a really good verse. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. It's one of those verses you would see on the mantle of your fireplace, like there it is, you know. The verse we leave out is, this do and you shall live, because each and every one of us struggle so much to actually do this. And this is where I believe the wheels would fall off the cart, and we find ourselves in so much trouble. And Jesus is helping this guy to understand the heart of the law, not just the letter of the law. See, here's the problem. Each one of us here today are more concerned with the letter of the law than the heart of the law. We actually wake up every day, I want to do it right. I mean, most of us want to do it right. That's why you guys are the 9 a.m. service. You guys are doing it right. You're showing up. I want to do it right. But I don't, I don't, I don't want to do it wrong, so Lord, show me where the, the line is. And this guy wanted to justify himself, asks this question. Look at verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who's my neighbor? I just want you to understand this question because it sounds like, you know, maybe an intellectual question. Jesus says, cool, you got the verses, good, go do it. He's, and, and he says, well, I don't want to do it wrong. Well, it says to love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, but I don't want to wrong the love, I don't want to love the wrong neighbor. And Jesus will look at him like, what'd you say? <laughs> well, who's my neighbor? I don't want to accidentally be nice to the wrong person is what he's saying. Uh, and, that's, and, and so Jesus tells him this crazy story about the Good Samaritan. And Jesus is so kind to this guy, but he, like you and me, want to know where the line is. Where's the line? Where's the line so I do it right, so I don't do it wrong? How, how do I make sure that I stay in bounds and don't go out of bounds? It's a very legalistic approach. As a matter of fact, when he says, how can I interpret or inherit eternal life? It's all about what he can do. And so Jesus zooms out in order to help him see the heart of the law, not just the letter of the law. And I think Jesus was having fun with this guy. You want to go to heaven? Sweet. We'll just do this little verse and you're in like Flynn. It's not that big of a deal and uh, you'll be fine. So the guy panics a little bit trying to justify himself. Who's my neighbor? And this is what we do too. We justify ourselves. We have all kinds of reasons why we can't love everybody or why we don't need to love everybody or why we only love the people we do love. And everybody is like this lawyer in justifying ourselves. This is, this is what we do. I'm a good person. I'm, I'm not that bad. And, and uh, I don't do what I used to do. And I'm sure better than them. And I'm better than my, you want me to love my neighbor? I'm better than my neighbor. Have you seen my neighbor? And there's all these things. I love taking people through a quick good person test. Everyone in, that I've met, are you a good person? Yeah, I'm a, good, I'm a pretty good person. I say, cool. Have you ever lied before? They said, well, yeah, everyone's lied. I said, okay, so you're a liar. So now I can't even trust you. You said you're a good person. I don't know if I should trust you now, you know. And immediately we begin to find out ah, I've got some things going against me, and the list goes on and on with that good person test. And we have all kinds of ways to justify. I'm an American, I'm a, I'm a Republican, or I recycle, or I used to recycle, or whatever the case is. And we can't justify ourselves, even though we do need to be justified. As a matter of fact, the hardest people to witness to, if you've ever tried to share your faith, are with people who justify themselves. People who don't know that they need a savior. Well, I'm not doing that bad, okay? You guys are watching the Super Bowl today? Not me. I'm super spiritual. Or whatever the case. I don't do that. And they have these reasons for being justified. And you have to, here's the deal. You have to come to the end of yourself. You have to realize that you need to be saved. That you can't do the Shema. You can't fulfill the flag. I got, the, I got a big Bible on my head. Cool. Is the Bible in your heart? I didn't know that mattered. And so too, you and I who are Christians. The Lord wants to liberate you from this legalism that you walk in? Because if you're trying to do it right, you're not going to. And you're gonna be an offense to the Lord. But if you're trying to be compassionate and merciful, 
and like Jesus, not only will that help you do it right, but you'll be pleasing to the Lord. As I was studying this through, I'm thinking, Lord, what is this really all about? How does this look in my life? Because I'm like the rest of you guys. I don't want to do wrong. I do want to do right. I'm trying my best. Every day I read the book. I'm trying to figure out where the rules are, what the thing is, and what's wrong. Holy Spirit, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Do that in Jesus' name. And yet the Lord looks at me and says, hey, are you loving your neighbor? Well, you mean my, like, neighbors next to me? Like, yes. You know, in my cul-de-sac, I care for my neighbor. You know, and I start to justify. Who's my neighbor? And Jesus gives this story. And I don't know if you want to believe it really happened or if it's just a story. Let's read it through, though, and study it and make some observations. Verse 30. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, let me just make a couple side observations. Uh, if this is a real story, this guy's a total idiot that did this, just so you guys know. You would never travel from Jerusalem to Jericho by yourself. You just wouldn't do it. History tells us that this road was known as the Red Road or the Blood Road or the Bloody Road. This was a dangerous stretch of geography. No one would ever go this route from Jerusalem, Jericho alone. Whether it happened or not, or Jesus is giving this illustration, can you imagine? Let's just say it's a story. Let's say Jesus is making stuff up and he tells the people there was a guy who went from Jerusalem to Jericho by himself. Everyone looks around. <laughs> what an idiot, man. Because Jesus is trying to show guess who needs love? Idiots. People who have done this to themselves. People who've gotten out of balance, out of bounds, who've ruined their lives. How many times have you been asked by the Holy Spirit to give some love to somebody, but you look at them, you're like, I don't know, kind of an idiot. They deserve this. If they wouldn't have made those bad decisions in high school, if they wouldn't have given themselves over to the world. And you're like me, these thoughts go through your mind. Well, I can't give that guy a buck. He doesn't deserve it, but... Jesus is telling this story in order that instead of being so concerned with being right and wrong, we would be more concerned with being compassionate. Well, I don't want to be too compassionate is our problem. I don't want to give too much. Who is my neighbor, Lord? I want to make sure I know what I'm doing here. And Jesus tells this story of this guy who got himself into trouble. This was his fault for doing this. So for all of you legalist, super self-righteous people like myself, when you look at somebody who needs help, you say, well... I don't, ah, Jesus would share this story with you. Look at verse 31, 32. Here's where we find ourselves in the story. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked, and he passed on the other side. This Levite and this priest both represent what I would call the civil, social, and the religious, spiritual sects of life. Okay, the civil social, that is the government, the people that are supposed to be helping, the first responders, everyone in charge, the schools and all the county organizations, all of them, and they come along and they can't help this guy ah, in this story. And then comes the spiritual people, the Levites, those dedicated to serving God and serving his name. And if you were in that sect, you would see this guy and both have an opportunity to do something. According to this story, though, this guy's an idiot. There's nothing I can do. He's half dead, and they both go on the other side. Jesus now, the story gets even crazier. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. You guys know this, that the Samaritans were at odds with the Jews and the Jews with the Samaritans. They weren't friends. For Jesus to make the Samaritan the hero of the story would get their attention, would make them mock, would make them angry, 
because they're the Levites, they're the priests, they're the people, the spirit, they're the ones with the Shema. I got the Bible on my forehead. Ah, how close am I to heaven? Jesus says, just do it. Just do what it says. Don't just worry about it. Don't worry about having it on your forehead. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool how you got the Bible on your forehead there. Never thought of that. You guys must have made that up yourself. Are you doing it? Well, what do you mean doing it? And Jesus gives this story. Are you really doing it? This Samaritan comes along. And I believe this Samaritan is indicative of Jesus as he would show up in the way that he serves this guy. He has compassion on him. One time the uh, Wycliffe Bible translators were translating the scriptures into a language in a small tribe. And the word compassion came up. And they were trying to, they didn't have, they didn't have a word for it in, in their language. They didn't know what compassion was. And so the way they described compassion to this people group was your pain in my heart. Your brokenness, your problem in me. I feel it. Now, think about that. The compassion that we can have towards the people around us. The pain, the brokenness. Yeah, but they're idiots. They deserve it. There's so much pain and brokenness. Even in this room. I'm not talking about the people out there. There's plenty of pain because life is messy, yet Jesus is real. But even in our own families. Wouldn't it be awesome if you as a Christian, if I as a minister, said, Lord, you just make me more compassionate? Just help me to... Not more right. I want to be more right. Do you not want to be more right? I want to know more Bible. I want a bigger phylactery on my forehead. Ugh, I need to know more. I, I want that in my heart. I do. And the Lord says, cool, that's great. Are you, are you compassionate though? I didn't know that was on the test. Because if you seek to be compassionate, if you truly do, okay, being right will be the byproduct. Did you know you can actually be right and not compassionate and be an offense to the Lord? You, you can actually be so right. I don't do anything wrong. I do everything right. It's incredible. And the Lord says, well, I, I don't know you. You're not like me. You're, you're offensive to me. And yet this Samaritan, did you know that a Samaritan wouldn't be allowed to be a Levite or a priest? They're not actually allowed to be in those two offices. And Jesus says, that's who comes in. A person who's not even allowed in the temple. A person who's not even allowed to serve. A phylactery on their head, never going to happen. But what they do have is compassion. I don't want to underscore, or should I say, I don't want to devalue being right okay or knowing the word of the law i don't want to devalue that but i think the way to execute that well is by love and compassion jesus here gives a story look what happens in verse 34 it says so he went to him and he bandaged his bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine the oil to soothe the wounds the wine to disinfect he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn he took care of him and on the next day when he departed he took out two denarii Gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, whatever, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So many illustrations of Jesus and his care for us and healing us and disinfecting us and, and healing our wounds and caring for everything, even above and beyond. Have you, don't raise your hand, but have you cost more for the Lord than you thought you would originally cost because of your sins and actions? <laughs> I know I have. I gave my life to the Lord. Ah, here I am. And I've cost more. And Jesus says, whatever it takes, whatever it costs, take it out of my paycheck and I will make sure that this guy gets taken care of. Jesus, verse 36 says, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said, go and do likewise. Now again, 
I really believe the Lord wants our joy to be full in serving, in knowing that we're saved, in seeing what we see and rejoicing in it. But in the outpouring and the outflowing of how this looks in our lives, because if we're not careful as, as Christians, we too won't put phylacteries, that is Bibles, on our forehead and do that. We would never do that. But we will be more concerned of what we do and don't do according to our own law that we've made. We'll be more concerned if I'm doing it right. And you'll be a sin sniffer and a rule keeper in your own home and in your own life. In your own mirror in your bathroom. Am I doing it right? And the Lord says, I don't know. Do you have compassion on people? Do, do you love your neighbor? Wilbur Smith, a great theologian of days ago, he's in heaven now, was asked, what's the greatest danger of Christianity, for Christianity? His answer, dead orthodoxy. A belief system that is accurate, that's right. But it's so right, it's dead right. This isn't going to apply to everyone. There are some Christians here right now this morning or at the next service or in the evening service. You're, just, you're so fired up. You've been set free. You, you're, you're liberated. You love people. You don't see boundaries. You just love. You love. And you're on fire. Nothing's going to stop that. But in a little bit, you'll be found to grow cold if you're not careful in your pursuit of your own righteousness and what's right i just want to know what's right and you'll find yourself growing cold i remember the first overnight retreat i went to at the applegate mountaintop retreat center seeking the lord i was green behind the ears in my christianity so fired up man I had a 32 pound new living translation study bible <laughs> thing was huge i was so man cost me 86 bucks had my name imprinted on it. I was excited. And I remember this because the next day, I woke up there seeking the Lord. And I was sitting at this table with other people I didn't know, strangers seeking the Lord. And there was this one dude. And he looked at me. And he was a Bible college student. Traveled up to go to this seminar, this dispensational seminar we were at. And he was there. And he looked at me. He said, the first thing you need to do is get yourself a real Bible. And it hurt my heart. As a young person, I was like, oh. Okay, I, I thought it was. It was 86 bucks. What do you mean it's not a real Bible, you know? And he began to tell me how it was wrong and the translations and all the super smart stuff he was doing. He was doing a paper on Hebrews chapter 6 and if you could lose your salvation or not. He was all serious about it, all this. And all I know is this. He was really smart, but I did not want to be him. I didn't want what he had. I want to be very careful of what he had, which is this pursuit of righteousness, Apart from compassion, apart from love, ap apart from service. And again, this isn't a warning for everybody. Some of you are just, you're on fire. Like, what's he talking about? What's he talking about? I love serving people. I love, I love getting dirty. I love going to celebrate recovery. I love helping. I love just listening to people. It doesn't matter if they're wrong or right or in or out or up or down. I just love people. We need to come back to that. Those of you who've drifted into this self-righteousness. This guy shows them, how can I get to heaven? Jesus tells him, go and do likewise. And then he tells them this story. I want you to go and I want you to be merciful. I'm going to have the worship team come up and lead us in a song. It's just a simple message today, really. Here's a couple questions, though, as the team comes up. Do you pick and choose who you're, you're nice to? Try not to this week. Do you decide to love some and, and not others? Try not to this week. Love the people right in front of you. The world is full of broken, 
hurting people. Every single person around you could use your love and compassion. Yeah, but I'm just more concerned about being right. I just don't want to do it wrong. I'll tell you what. If you're concerned about being like Jesus, you'll do what's right. You'll say no to sin. You'll say yes to righteousness. But you'll be pleasing to the Lord. And you'll be of good service to the people around you. I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes as we ask the Lord to sink this into our hearts. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name now as we come to the table that we would have that blessed time, Lord, of seeing what we see, of hearing what we hear, knowing, Lord, that it's all about Jesus. That, Lord, it's all fulfilled in you and that you've given to us, Lord, the freedom to not freak out about the law and freak out about if we're doing it right. Because if we're free to love people, the law will be fulfilled. We will do it right. We won't be weirdos. We won't steal. We won't be selfish. We won't be thugs. If we seek to serve others and to love them. Lord, I just be the first to confess. I'm like this lawyer. I'm like this guy. I just kind of want to know where the line is. I want to know if I'm doing it right. I don't want to get crazy and extravagant in my love. I don't want to do that. Nuts. I just want to know where the rules are. And I'll be the first to repent. And if you would just join me, raise your hand if you need to repent this morning. Just raise your hand and say, yeah, Lord, I, I don't, I'm like this guy. Just raise your hand. I'm, I'm, I just need more love. Lord, I, I, forgive me. I'm not loving. I'm, I'm more proud of myself. I'm more fearful if I'm doing it right than I am concerned about others. I pray your mercy. You can put your hand down. Lord, I pray you forgive us. Help us to respond, Lord, in love. Just to test you in this, to test you in it, to see if it's true. See, that's all that matters, to be more loving to our spouses and more loving to our kids, more loving to our neighbors. Oh, but they don't deserve it. <laughs> no, they don't. No, they don't. But nor did I. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That you died for us, Lord, while we were yet sinners. And we ask, Lord, a blessing on us as we both receive that and then reciprocate that to the world around us. We do so, Lord, as we come to the table even now, rejoicing in what you've done, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We remember, Lord, your death and proclaim your return until you come back again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.